Turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. In Jonah chapter 4, we will begin in verse 6, and we will finish out the book this evening. As you look at these four chapters, you have some very amazing things that we've been learning about the very character of God. Some things that really should give us some pause, but also make our heart just rejoice because of what we learn here. You know, when you think of you know, mythologies and different things like that, you, you see how man views their ideas of God and that most of the time the very thing that they're exerting is just all this power and all this might and all of this. And, and, and they really don't express uh, a view of God that rejoices in other aspects as what we find here. Surely we find God's sovereignty throughout this whole book. His power in order to work uh, through His creation, His providence being, being played out in everything that's been going on. He's in control over everything here. He has the power of the winds. He has the power over the animals. All of this thing that God has appointed a wind. He's appointed a fish. He's, he's done all of this. And yet the very things that you find that are so unique to the one true triune God is his compassion, his grace, and his mercy to undeserving people. Not to people that have tried to make sacrifices that he owes them anything, but to undeserving people. He is compassionate and gracious and merciful, and he is near to those who call upon him. That's something, that's something to really think, consider to think about. To reflect upon is not only is God transcendent and, and God is above everything and, and all of this. He's, he's far removed from anything that we can fathom. All of that. And yet he is imminent. He is near. And he's compassionate and he's loving and he's gracious. All of those aspects of things that we just read in that opening psalm about his loving kindness and he's slow to anger and all of this. It's showing how near he is to us and what compassion that he has for his people. We've learned so many things concerning the attributes of God, concerning the character of God in just four chapters of this very small book within God's word. We're going to learn more tonight. For it's not finished yet. God is once again going to demonstrate just how gracious of a God that he is. And thankfully that he's not like us. That is the uniqueness of the one true God is that he's not like us. All the gods of the people are always as immoral as they are. But here we see the, the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the one true God as we finish up this book. We find Jonah being blinded by his own self-centeredness. <laughs> as we've seen a number of times throughout this book. He is a truly self-centered man. You can look at everything that has happened and why has it happened 
Well, one, by the sovereign hand of God, we see that part. But individually, on, on that kind of a level plane there, we see Jonah, who is self-centered. He is arrogant. He is prideful. And we see that again tonight. He's blinded by his own self-centeredness. He's not willing to have compassion on an entire city of people who are under the judgment of God that it could happen at any moment. And instead of having compassion and pity, he yearns for their destruction. And you see that it, uh, it is only his, his aggravation and his grief and his sorrow is only amplified by what the Lord does and how, he, and how Jonah misinterprets God's kindness towards him. And then when it doesn't happen, it only furthers his, his anger and resentment. Jonah is a great picture of who we are. We see ourselves all over the place in this book because we are self-centered people. We look out mostly for ourselves. We are mostly concerned about what's going on in our own life or in furthering our own selves along rather than looking at others and rejoicing in what God is doing in their life or even the the things that he allows to happen in their life, the great successes or the great mercies that he provides. We are self-centered. And a lot of times we, we immerse ourselves in our own self-pity when things don't go right. When things don't go right, nobody can play victim like we ourselves. Why God? Why this and why that? And the very thing that Jonah this book really extends to us is God's graciousness in our time of being centered on ourselves in our time of self-pity. And the Lord says to us, do you really have a good reason to be angry? And those words, which are going to be repeated again in our text tonight, is one that should really penetrate to our own hearts when we are just so self-loathing of everything, and this didn't go right, and this didn't go right, and my life isn't what I want it to be. On and on we go, and the Lord says, do you really have good reason to be angry? And the answer to that is no. Why? Because God has been nothing but gracious to his people. And in that, we have nothing to complain about. We should be rejoicing in what God rejoices in. We should be concerned about God's interests and what he's doing in the world than our own. So many things we learn from this book. And I pray that tonight will teach us even more as we close up this book. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 6 and reading through the end of the chapter, this is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible Word, And let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. 
When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that the Spirit of God is within us, to, that he applies your word uh, to our hearts to grow us, to teach us, to rebuke us, to conform us. And we pray, Father, that he would do a mighty work within us tonight as we work our way through this passage, that you would help us, Lord, not to look to ourselves, but to look unto you and to rejoice in what you do, to rejoice in, in what you're doing in this world, rather than only being concerned about our own temporary comforts. Father, bless the preaching of your word, guide our thoughts tonight, and Father, do a mighty work within our hearts. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> you know, talking about God's sovereignty, as this whole thing began, you think about God's sovereignty in the sense, first off, he has called Jonah. He has appointed Jonah to be a prophet, and he has commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh. And instead, Jonah goes the other way, and the Lord hurls a great wind on the sea. So Jonah can't go where he's wanting to go. And then, as they throw him overboard, the Lord has appointed a great fish in order to swallow Jonah. And in God's power, he has preserved Jonah throughout those three days as Jonah is in the belly of the great fish. It was the Lord who commanded the fish to spit him up. And it is the Lord, once again, who is going to appoint a particular plant for Jonah. He's going to appoint a worm. He's going to appoint a great east wind. All of this is what it is doing to Jonah, or for Jonah, we should say, is to sanctify him. To remove from him what is natural to man, which is being selfish, being prideful, being arrogant, thinking our way is better. And all of these things that through all of this ordeal that, that the Lord is, is showing Jonah who he is, yes, without question. And then through these lessons that Jonah is learning, he is, he, he is promoting in Jonah a growth, a sanctifying growth. As that is the goal of the Christian life that the Spirit of God brings within us is to conform us to the image of Christ. Through his hardships, through his joys, through his griefs, through his sorrows, the Lord is working in all of this in order to conform him to be who God intends for him to be. And notice this isn't none of Jonah's doing. That all this sanctifying work of God is a pure act of God. 
Jonah isn't doing the Jonah would rather do something else. If it was left up to him, he would rather be doing something else, but the Lord is working in him and changing him and conforming him, teaching him, guiding him, all of this. This is all a work of the Lord. You see his power. You see his sovereignty. You see everything that God desires to do, he is doing, he is accomplishing. And Jonah, the rebellious prophet, even being one of God's own people, cannot thwart his will. God will accomplish all that he intends to do. And what he intends to do throughout this book is one to show his very nature that he is a God who is full of compassion, who is full of loving kindness, who is slow to anger. And this is something that is, that is so comforting to the people of God because when we think of God being holy, which he is absolutely holy, and because he is holy and because we are not, his holiness cries out for justice and that's why we're under God's wrath and all of that. But even as children of God, as our status has changed from being under the wrath of God to now being in the grace of God, any time that we sin or we are in rebellion, we are waiting for God's hand to come crashing down on us. And yet sometimes the very things that God does, even in our own sin and our rebellion, is to be kind. To be kind to us. To be gracious to us. To us. And God has been nothing but gracious to Jonah. He has preserved his life. He has not allowed him to throw away his appointment as being a prophet of the Lord. What a great privilege. God has not cast him off to the side, but God has continually brought Jonah along. He has been kind to Jonah. And he's being kind to Jonah even now. You see even in Jonah's resentment over what is happening in the city. He, he leaves the city. He goes up on the hill. He builds him a little shelter. He wants to sit there and he wants to wait and to see whether or not God is going to destroy the city. That's apparently what he is hoping for. He is praying that not even the repentance that they are producing or that, that, that they are exercising is going to be enough. He hopes that they're going to be wiped out. And most likely the reason why he would hope that is like we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks is the fact that, that as a prophet of the Lord, he knows that in the same century that he's in, and let's just say 20, 30 years, whatever it's going to be, that he knows that Assyria is going to take the northern kingdom and they're going to deport all the people of God in the northern kingdom. He knows this. And so he has such hatred for this people that not even to see them turn and repent and be converted, that's not even on his mind. He would rather see them be judged. That's what he's waiting on. And as he is there, he's made him a little shelter under the scorching heat. He's waiting to see what happens. And what does the Lord do? Shows him kindness. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Extremely happy. He's been miserable thus far because he wants to see this people die. He wants to see them perish. 
and he's out here in the hot heat, sun beating down on him. And the Lord causes, supernaturally, causes this plant to come over top of him to shade him. And Jonah is happy. And he's probably happy for a few reasons. One, what the Lord has provided is much greater than what his little shelter that he had built himself. Some would perhaps guesstimate, let's just say, that maybe this plant was you know, eight or nine feet, big leaves to shade him. He's happy that he's being kept from the heat, from the sun, beaming down on his head. Being thankful that God has done this thing for him. Maybe he even thinks to himself that since God has appointed this plant to come over top of me and to shade me, that perhaps he wants me to remain here. And he wants me to remain here because maybe something's going to be happening out here. And so Jonah is appreciative of the plant that God has appointed to him. And the wording there, he is extremely happy, greatly happy about this plant, this gourd. He's not happy about anything else, but he's happy about this plant. This was an act of God's kindness, even in the midst of this man's sin and rebellious heart. Instead of bringing something else upon Jonah because of his continuous rebellious heart and his continuous sin, he doesn't, he doesn't bring some calamity upon Jonah. Instead, God shows him grace. Even though he's resentful, perhaps, grieved in his soul over this people, even remotely being, afra being afraid that this people might repent and God withhold judgment. That's gr that grieves his heart. And so even in the midst of, of this state of Jonah, that God is still kind to him. God is still gracious to him. He perhaps misrepresents God's grace to him as giving him justification to remain how he is. Perhaps the Lord has provided this, so he's going to grant the very thing that I'm wanting. When instead, as the Apostle Paul says, do you not know that the kindness of God is what leads you to repentance? That's what should have led Jonah to repentance, is the kindness and the grace of God even in the time of his rebellion. And that's, you know, the thing that we're looking at here with Jonah is the very thing that, that God extends to us even in our time of rebellion and sinful hearts and resentment over things that are, that are so petty. That God is still kind. God is still kind to you. God is still gracious to you. Why? Because that's His very nature is to be gracious and compassionate because He knows our frame that we are but dust as the psalmist says. He knows who we are. He knows how we are. And he extends grace to us and he is kind. Think of this in your own life and times that you yourself have been in rebellion or resentful or bitter over something that has gone on in your life or whatever. And then think of the conviction that came 
over the Lord being kind to you. Even though you're angry with him, you're bitter with him. This isn't the way that it should have been in my life. This was supposed to win a different way. And what are you doing? What are we doing? When we do that, we're questioning the very character of God. We're questioning the goodness of God in our lives. And instead of the Lord slinging a great wind against us or whatever, as he did with Jonah, instead, the Lord gives grace and extends kindness and oftentimes blessing. Because that's the character of God. To be gracious and kind. To have pity. That's his nature. That's what he often does. And that in itself is what often leads us to repentance. Yes, this wasn't how I intended for my life to go. This particular incident that had happened, oh Lord, it didn't have to happen, but why did it happen? This person who, who continually bothers me, torments me, whatever the case may be, Lord, why? And oftentimes, the Lord isn't obligated to tell us why, but the Lord often reminds us of just how gracious and kind He's been. So that when we get in those, those frames of mind, I pray that from now on, I pray for all of us, that when we get in that frame of mind that the Spirit of God will bring back to our remembrance these words, do you have good reason to be angry? Do you have good reason to be angry? And in light of God's grace and in light of God's compassion and His kindness that He has shown to us, no. We don't have good reason to be angry. We don't have good reason to be bitter. Jonah doesn't take it that way. Jonah thinks that this is perhaps the Lord furthering him along in, in what he thinks and, and how he thinks things ought to be. But here's what happens. So this, this plan had grown up. It's going to shade him. He's extremely happy about it. He's been happy about nothing else. He's happy about this. But God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. So instead of Jonah, as he experienced the day before, this wonderful shade that is by the, the sovereign hand of God, the gracious hand of God, instead the next day he gets up expecting to see and have this shade again. And now it's not going to be there. Instead, when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. So the very thing that God had provided out of an act of kindness to Jonah, he appointed this plant, and then the Lord appointed a worm. And then as the worm attacked the plant and the plant withered and Jonah wakes up the next day and there's no more plant. He has pity on the plant 
It's not there no more. It was there for me, and now it's not there. And then the Lord appoints this scorching heat, this great wind to come upon Jonah and to beat down on his head so that he becomes faint. Perhaps he's experiencing some kind of a you know, heat stroke or whatever. He becomes faint and he, he lays there. He begs with all his soul, just, just take my life. Death is better. Death is better to me than life. He is so petty. I mean, when you think of this, he is being so petty. The plant was there. I was happy. The Lord took away the plant. Oh, you took away. Just kill me. Just let me die. Look at this heat. I'm out here in this heat. Why am I out here in this heat? Why haven't you just done it yet? He begs to die. Very reminiscent of of Elijah, isn't it? After Elijah has this great battle with the prophets of Baal, and the, and the prophets of Baal are trying to call down fire upon the sacrifice, and, and Elijah is over here just mocking them and making fun of them. Perhaps he can't hear you. Maybe you need to yell a little louder. But then when it comes to Elijah's turn, he prays unto the Lord. The Lord consumes the sacrifice and all of that. And then the next day, after all the 400 prophets of Baal were slain, the next day he hears that Jezebel is wanting to kill him. And then he flees for his life and he, he finds shade under a tree and he lies there and he says, Oh Lord, just kill me. Just take my life. Everything that I just did was fruitless. And then the Lord says, Be a man. Don't you know that I've appointed 7,000 that haven't bowed a knee to Baal. And here, Jonah, being a, a successor of Elijah, is doing the very same thing. It doesn't matter what God is doing. It doesn't matter the desires of the Lord here. For Jonah, he'd rather die. His way, he thinks, is better. God should have already done this. And then to take away the plant in which gave him shade, which made him happy. So the Lord says to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Do you really have good reason to be angry about it? You didn't plant, the, you didn't plant it. You, you didn't do anything to cause it to grow and that's what the Lord's going to tell him because Jonah replies and says I have good reason to be angry even to death imagine saying this to the Lord you got good reason to be angry over this plant and Jonah says I have really good reason and I have even better reason to just go ahead and ask you to kill me because over this plant that's what I mean about him being so petty he has went from being sorrowful and grieving, bitter, resenting everything that's happening to being extremely happy over something that is inhuman. And then when it's taken away, he goes right back to his self-pity. They gave me shade, now it's not there. 
Why did you do that? I have, I have good reason to be angry. You should have left it here for me. It gave me joy, temporary joy. But what a lesson there is in that. We think of Jonah, and, we think, and he, he is truly being petty, but so are we. So are we. That's what I mean. Everything that Jonah is doing in the way that he's acting, he's acting like a child. And yet that's how, that's how we are. That's how we act. We find something else that gives us some kind of a temporary joy because we don't like how other things are going. We're not interested in perhaps what the Lord is doing through these circumstances or these situations or in the lives of others. But we have this temporary thing over here, which gives us some joy and happiness, and we're so thankful that it's there. We didn't cause it to be there. It was just perhaps something that the Lord had, had allowed to be present within our lives, and we're grateful for it. We're comforted by it. And then when it's taken away, how then do we act? Just like him. Just like him. Why? Because often we're only focused upon ourselves, just like Jonah. The Lord's going to say to Jonah, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, who came up overnight and perished overnight. You had compassion. You had pity on this plant over here. You mostly had pity on it because of what it did for you. And now that it's gone, you're acting the way that you are. And that's the point of the Lord. He's saying this was an act of his kindness. Jonah didn't do anything to cause any growth here. And that's what the Lord says. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. You did nothing for this, and yet you're having pity because it's gone. You have compassion on the plant. And the point is, this inhuman thing over here you took more delight in, rather than taking delight in 120,000 people repenting and turning unto the Lord. And that's his point. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals? You didn't do anything for this plant, yet you're having pity on it. These people over here are created by the Lord. Every, every part of their life, every minute of their life has been sustained by the sovereign hand of God. He has caused them to grow into adults. He has provided everything that they needed for their existence. He has been intimately involved in caring for these people, though they were serving other gods. And the Lord says, with these people over here, you had compassion on this, this plant over here. When you should have had compassion on them, shouldn't I have compassion on them? You didn't cause any growth in this over here, but I have cared for these over here. Shouldn't I have compassion on them? 120,000 persons. Now, there was a time, but, and I'll say this, leading up through this book, 
has been just such a blessing uh, to me personally to understand perhaps what the Lord is saying here as he gets to the end. There was a time in which I thought that perhaps this 120,000 persons that the Lord is going to have grace upon the city was because of 120,000 children. Because he says they don't know the difference between the right and the left hand. And so there was a time up until pretty recently that I thought that he was talking about there being this many children in there. All of this, that shouldn't I spare the city because of the children that are there? 120,000? They don't even know their left and right hand. But I don't think that's what he's saying. Some theologians would estimate that the city of Nineveh probably had up to 120,000 persons total. The Lord is speaking of the entire city. He is speaking of those that upon hearing the judgment was coming... That the king sends out a proclamation throughout the entire city. Don't eat. Everybody fast. And call upon God. Call upon God earnestly, as he says, and perhaps he will relent. And because the people done that is what we read earlier. When Jonah had went through the the city, back in chapter 3, verse 10... When God saw their deeds, this is all the adults. This is the city. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So he's talking about 120,000 persons. He's talking about men, women, children. He's talking about the entire population there. And what he means by they don't know their right hand from their left, they can't make moral judgments. He's saying they're ignorant. They were serving other gods. They're ignorant of God's law. They're ignorant of his statutes. They're ignorant of everything concerning the one true God. And yet when Jonah preaches through the city that the one true God is going to bring calamity then they turn and they repent and they actually have actions that demonstrate true repentance. And the Lord is saying, shouldn't I have compassion on them? They're not capable of making moral judgments, at least in comparison to Jonah, because Jonah would know very intimately the law of God. They don't know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. What a lesson, though, of teaching Jonah just how inhuman that he has been acting. That he would rather see 120,000 people perish than to be any partaker of anything having to do with their repentance. He's an unwilling participant here. I mean, he's going to have to go back to Israel and he's going to have to tell them, this is what the Lord had me do and this is what happened. And yes, the other prophets, Isaiah, some of the other guys have have already told you that they're going to come, come in at some point and God's going to use them as the instrument of his wrath. But for this time, even though they are our enemies, I had to do this. 
Jonah's going to go back and have to face the people. He is, in, in that sense, an unwilling participant here. But after this whole ordeal, maybe that's what he was thinking to begin with. But after this whole ordeal, perhaps he will go back and understand the value and dignity of all human life that God has created and cared for and nurtured. Perhaps Jonah might understand that he needs to have a heart for those that are not God's people. Because that's the lesson that God is really showing him there. That he is a gracious God. He's not just gracious to you guys. But he's gracious to all. He's compassionate. You could even look. This is a city that has repented. As the scripture makes very clear here. But you can look at God's common grace that he extends to all people. And you can see that even in his common grace, which is extended to all people, whether believing or not believing, that there is a kindness of God even extended to them. There is a kindness of God that is extended to them, even them. He is compassionate and he is gracious, especially to those that are his. To those who repent and turn to him. He is a God who is near. He is a God who is slow to anger. He's a God who is full of loving kindness for those that are his. Who call upon his name. Every single human being has value and has dignity. And even as Spurgeon had made a comment, something to the effect of you take even the most terrible of human beings... And there's still hope for them if they call upon the Lord. While they still have breath in their lungs. That is, that is something that we know, but not something that we practice often. We have... We have those, those people, those people in our own lives or people that we see on TV or people in our government or any of this other stuff. And we are so eager to jump on any bandwagon against them. Why? Because we regard them as our enemies. And granted, you could say that they are because if they're enemies of God and being God's people, you can say that. But at the very same time, they are enemies of God because they are still in their ignorance. They are still in darkness. But if we were to view them, even some of the most reprehensible ones of them, what we would consider that. Being created in the image of God. Because they are. And because they are created in the image of God, they have value. They have dignity. And they have, it's not as if they deserve God's grace or any of that towards him or from him because they have broken his law and they're under his wrath. But you can say, at least from this perspective, that our duty towards them is not to try to withhold anything from them that might lead to their repentance if God so wills, but to extend it to them because somebody extended it to us. That's the thing. God was gracious to Jonah. He allowed this plant to come up. It was an extension of his grace and of his kindness. And yet Jonah did not reciprocate that to anybody else. And we should. 
We should. Sometimes I think we forget that we were once under the wrath of God. We know, we, we know Reformed theology and we know, we know about God choosing his elect before the foundation of the world. We know all these things. And yet at the very same time, we have to acknowledge that the scripture says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. Who suppressed the truth and unrighteousness? And that is a blanket statement across the board for everybody. Including you and me before our conversion. And yet God appointed someone. Whether it was in a church setting, whether it was an individual, whether it was one-on-one or whatever. God appointed someone to preach the gospel. And then our hearts be converted by the Spirit of God. So that we can see how things really are. We can see the reality of life. And the reality of our condition apart from Him. We can see it. They don't see it. That's why the psalmist, when he expresses you know, the thoughts of some of the unregenerate, while they're committing all their wicked deeds, they say to themselves, He doesn't know. He won't see. That's what the psalmist says. They are in their ignorance. They are lost. They are dead in their trespasses and sin. And therefore, even though sometimes we get angry over things, that our hearts should be compassionate enough to pray for them. There's going to be many people we're going to see on TV and And all this sort of thing we're probably never going to be able to talk to in our life. Never come in contact with, but we know who they are. And we can pray for them. We can pray that God will be merciful to them and convert their hearts if it would be his will. And for those that are in our lives and those that we are able to encounter, we can tell them of the glorious gospel of Christ as well. We can tell them, of Christ, the God-man, dealing with sin. He took it upon himself. He satisfied God's justice. All of the the things of of who Christ is and what he accomplished, and, and this is extended to you. Believe. Believe upon Christ. It's not hard. Sometimes it's just more so whether or not we're willing to do it. And often we don't do it because we don't have compassion. We don't have enough pity. But that's one of the great lessons that we learn here. What is God interested in doing? What are are his interests in this world? Well, there's a few things. Probably the great theme of all scripture is the glory of God. That's first and foremost. But the things that God emphasizes throughout the scriptures as well as the saving of sinners. Bringing to himself those that are lost and transferring them from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. God delights in saving. And we should delight in God's saving and delight in extending the gospel to them and praying for them. Now, 
we know that we ought to be doing these things, and we see the great lesson that we learn here from Jonah that God is teaching him. But at the same time, in order to accomplish these things, we must be absolutely relying upon the Lord to do it. Because we can't do these things in our own power. We can't be compassionate enough in our own power. And so we pray that God would do a continual work in us. To work, work within us. To shape us and to mold us. To be what he wants us to be. Because we have to be relying upon him to do any of these things. If we know that these things are... Or, or what we should be practicing in our life. It can't be in our own power. We recognize that. And so we have to go back to the source and say, Oh Lord, conform me and mold me to be what you desire. Give me the desires that are pleasing to you and that you delight in. That I may carry out these things that you have commanded of me in Scripture. That is, that is another element perhaps that we miss. And that is easy for us to miss. We hear commands from Scripture, and we're like, okay, i got to discipline myself. i got to do this. i got to do this. i got to do this. And while we, we need to have that drive in us, you cannot forget. You can't forget the Spirit of God, who is the one who produces these things. And we have to be relying upon Him. And, and we're often like the man who came to Jesus, and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? We have to rely on Him to do these things. And so then, let that, be, let, let that be our prayer. In regards to ourselves, as we pray for others, let that be our prayer. Oh Lord, change me. Mold me. Produce in me what you desire. So that I am, am interested and, and desirous to see what your interests are in this world. And not so focused upon myself. Oh, Lord, change me that I can carry this out. It's kind of like Augustine had prayed, Oh, Lord, command what thou would and grant what you do command. It has to be granted to us, and so we pray and ask God to do that. Do that mighty work within us to give us a heart for the lost. To shape us and to mold us to be all that he desires and to recognize and to readily acknowledge, Oh, Lord, only you can do this in me because I can't. And this is what we find here in Jonah. All this sanctifying work is all by the sovereign hand of God. Jonah can't do these things on his own. And so it has to be that the Lord intervened and produced these things in him, just as he does every single one of us. Let that be our prayer, dear friends. Let us be asking the Lord to, to become more alive to the Spirit of God as he moves and shapes us and, and all of that conforms us to be like Christ, producing us the, the affections for Christ that we, that we grow in, in our affections. We'll never be perfected, but we'll, we grow in them. Praying that God would give us more patience with one another, more patience with people that we regard as enemies. And praise God that he's not like us. Because often we're very impatient. If we see the kind of character that God portrays, or that He extends, or that He puts on display, that He demonstrates, let that be our goal that, oh Lord, make me more like you. 
how gracious and compassionate you are, how patient that you are. Oh, Lord, help me to be like you. Pray the Spirit of God do that mighty work in all of us. And praise God that we struggle with all this now, and we will continue to struggle with it, but, but praise the Lord that one day our affections will be perfected as they should be. Our love for Him will be perfected as it should be. And let us then seek to grow now, but to look forward to that day as well. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this small book that we've immersed ourselves in. But Father, you, you've demonstrated just how gracious and compassionate that you are, how you take pity upon us, how patient that you are. Oh, Lord, help us to be more like you. We can't do it in our own power. It has to be within your sovereign power. Help us to be relying upon you, Lord, to carry these things out. And I pray indeed for all of us that you would do that mighty work in us, conforming us to the image of our Lord, helping us, Father, by your power and your wisdom to be imitators of God as beloved children. Lord, have your way in our lives. Make our desires, Lord, what, what you desire. Not to look at our own selves, but to always look at, at, at you upon Christ. Lord, and to delight in extending that grace and kindness to others. Help us to pray for those that we regard as enemies. Even those that would make a mockery of who you are, of Christ, of your word. Lord, let us have compassion recognizing that if it weren't for the grace of God, perhaps we would be doing the same. Help us to be all that you desire, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention. You are dismissed.